So anybody say thank, uh, thank you for the weather? Anybody say that? Yeah, yeah. Did you thank God for the sunshine and the blue sky? I hope uh, in the middle of that you begin to also just pour out some prayers um, of request and safety for those fighting fires, not only in our state, but in other states as well, and how dire it is. Don and I, we've lived in Colorado now for about 15 years, and um, we lived back in the, the you know, Midwest, Indiana, Kentucky, most of our lives before we came out here. But after being here about 10 years, the, the beauty and the sun and the incredible uh, just, you know, sunshine that we experience here began to take its toll on me. Somebody will see me and they'll say, you've been outside. And I said, no, I'm, I, just, I walked to the car. Um, <laughs> when I walk to the car, I get a sunburn. And so when that happens, you know, it's a problem. I got to wear sunscreen. And I don't like sunscreen. Sunscreen is gross and it feels nasty. I don't like to put it on. You know what I don't like uh, more than I don't like sunscreen is cancer. And so when I went to see the doctor and he said, after about 10 years, he said, boy, you haven't been in Colorado long. This is going to take its toll on you. You're at altitude. You know, the sun's more dangerous here. We have 300-some sunny days. He said, you're going to start wearing sunscreen. And you have what we would call precancerous spots. And so he, he took this, this thing and, you know, sprayed it on my head, and it froze part of my face off. And um, how many of you had that done? You've had that done before? And, and, and they said, they said, you know, you, it's precancer. And I was, a, you know, I was, that was 10 years ago. I thought, oh, my gosh. And so we bought lots of, lots of sunscreen, and I've been wearing it ever since. And it's been a while since I've been. Last week I went again because Donna saw a little spot on me, and she said, you need to go have that looked at. And I said, okay, I'll go, I'll go. And it's been a while. It's time for somebody to give me a look over. And so the doc, older gentleman, uh, you know, he had really nice skin. I mean, really nice skin. So I like this. This is good. He knows his stuff. And so I, I do my thing, and I take, take my shirt off, and he's looking me over, and he finds this spot on my back that Donna was concerned about. And he, he's, he's giving me a play-by-play, right, as he's giving me the look over and taking care of business. And he finds this spot, and he said, well, we see this spot here. Um, we call that, and I'm not making this up as a direct quote. He's touching my back on this spot, and he says, we call that a barnacle of age. And I said, uh, Doc, are you trying to sweet talk me? Do you talk to all your new patients this way? And so I said, what do we do about it? He said, well, we can leave it. We can freeze it off. And I thought, there's no way we're taking this off. I'm proud of this now. It's, I've got my own barnacle. You know, I mean, he described me like an old ship. And I, you know, you may be disgusted by an old ship, but I'm thinking this old ship's been around a while. I'm t- keeping all the barnacles I got. And so I said, no, we're leaving that on, Doc. Just leave it right where it is. And he's checking me. And he looks over me over, and you know, he gets down in this region, and he says, oh, you've had surgery. I said, yeah, I have. And uh, he could tell by the pattern of my scars. He said, cancer, how you doing? I'll never forget the spot I was in my home when the doctor called to say, we got your biopsy results, and we found some cancer in your prostate. The exact spot, who was home, where the dogs were, the moments sealed in my memory. There are moments in your life and my life, I bet you've had some over the last six to eight months, when God seems a little bit distant, 
when you wonder if he's really close, when maybe you're even curious if anybody is paying attention at all. And the feelings that you have are the same kinds of feelings that we've all experienced. We feel a little bit alone. We feel scared, maybe a little bit anxious, maybe a little bit worried. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we're just unsure. But life can pivot in a moment, and we're not exactly sure what's going to happen next. And I bet you've experienced that lately. Jesus said a very interesting thing from the cross. He's there. He's on the cross. John is there. His mom is there. Uh, Centurions are nearby, the ones that helped crucify him. And Jesus, while he's on the cross, looks up and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he feels alone. And he feels like this moment... He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. When Jesus says this, he's quoting Psalm 22. And when you open up Psalm 22, you'll see it was written by David. It's an interesting thing that David wrote it. Uh, David has uh, a very colorful life in Scripture, but it didn't start out that way. He was just a shepherd boy. And one day, uh, an old prophet came to his home looking for the next king of Israel. Saul had outlasted his usefulness in God's eyes, and he was about to be done as Israel's first king. Samuel showed up to anoint the new king of Israel and said to this man named Jesse, it's going to be one of your sons. Where are they? David had seven brothers, and Samuel went through all of them and said, there surely must be someone else because I haven't met the next king of Israel yet. So they brought in David. He was out tending sheep and taking care of business on the family property. And Samuel looked at him and said, you, it's your youngest. He's the next king of Israel. And in that moment, in his home, he poured oil on his head and anointed him the king of Israel. David was probably 14 or 15 when that happened. And it would be years before he would ascend to the throne and have control over all of Jerusalem and Israel. And it would be a long road for him to get there. In fact, the man who was king when David was anointed king, King Saul, he was a crazy man. He was insane. He was terribly insecure and amazingly jealous. And David was a unique man. David had all kinds of things in his favor. He was a musician. He was a warrior. You know the story. He killed Goliath with a stone. He was handy out while he was tending sheep fending off bear and lion. He was brave, courageous, incredible. He was a Renaissance man before there was a Renaissance. David was someone to be jealous of, and Saul was. He tried to kill him. Not only did he try to kill him, but his men tried to kill him. In fact, David spent a good number of years when he was partially king, awaiting his turn at the throne, years after he had been anointed by this old man, Samuel waiting to be king, on the run, afraid for his life. And he had to think back to that moment in his living room when Samuel anointed him king, and now he finds himself hiding in a cave or not sure if he can trust anyone near him. We don't know when he wrote it, but I bet he felt alone a lot and desperate. And I bet he felt like hope was out of reach, and so he wrote, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And many verses follow. And his life, well, it just isn't turning out like he thought. And so on the cross, Jesus quotes the very same words. Now, if you grew up in church and you understood that Jesus said this from the cross, then you were maybe told or maybe you were taught that, well, that is the moment that God forsook Jesus, that, that he could not look upon sin, and since, G, since God can't look upon sin and Jesus became sin for us, that God had to sort of turn his back on Jesus and look the other way and sort of abandon his son in this moment of incredible pain, amazing misery, and, of course, the one thing that God had asked Jesus to do. I don't know why we have this idea. It's not in Scripture at all. It's not contained anywhere in the Bible. In fact, the promise of God is that he would be with us everywhere we go. And we have this impression that God can't look on sin at all, and I don't know why that is our idea. God loved us while we were yet, what? That's right. He's with us all the time. He will not leave us. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 because... What he was doing, well, he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. God is with you. And in that moment when I got the phone call, when David finds himself hiding in a cave from Saul's aggressive men, hunting for his life, God was with him too. Whatever you've gone through in the last six months or year or two years or five years, God was with you. I promise he was right beside you. Now, he may have felt distant, and you may have wondered if his goodness had evaporated or if anything was ever going to work out well for you or if you were going to get a break. You may have thought all of those things, but God was not absent from your presence. He was in it with you. He does not waste pain. He does not leave you to fend for yourself. And he surely doesn't turn his back on you when you need him the most. He is with you. In fact, David would write later in one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139. Right in the middle of it, David says this. Where can I go from your presence? Does it sound like God abandons you? No, he's with you. Whatever you're experiencing. In fact, David even writes this. I go up to the heavens and you are what? You are there. That's right. And then he says this. Here's a translation I love the most. Even if I put my bed in hell, you are, you are there. The promise that Jesus gave before he left his disciples, he said, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so my guess is, is that as you give thanks tonight and you face your week that's coming up, there may be some of you that are running a little bit low on hope. And if hope seems to have evaporated from you, if, if the pressures of what's happening, the needs that are around you, the lives that are maybe feeling tension or anxiety, maybe it's not even your own, but you're empathetic people and you take them on, you might need a little hope. So let me give you a verse tonight. In fact, you're going to learn it before we're done. In about the next five minutes, you'll have this verse committed to memory. And this will be a verse that you'll call to mind this week, and you'll forget it, and you'll think, ah, it's something about hope. And then you'll go all the way into the book of Romans, chapter 15. What chapter? 
That's right. All the way to verse 13. What verse? What book? What chapter? What verse? You are such quick learners. Oh, it took me forever to get this down. And it starts like this. Say it right after me. May the God of hope. See, that was easy, wasn't it? And that's like one-fifth of it. You're one-fifth there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So we're going to do the second line. Fill you with all joy and peace. Now we're going to put two together. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Okay, so you got the little hiccup there, so we're going to do that again. Ready? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Here's the third part. As you trust in him. That's good. Yeah. Let's say that one again. As you trust in him. I love the kid back there. Apparently, apparently something happens when we put our trust in God. When we decide that, you know what, I've tried my way. I've tried to work it out my way. I, I've just, I'm worried. I'm anxious. Every time you experience anxiety, it's because your trust in God has begun to ebb away. And you have begun to trust in something else. I don't know what it is. It's something else. It could be a political process. It could be an election. It could be your 401k. It could be the stock market. It could be your friends. It could be, I have no idea, you fill in the blank. But the moment your trust begins to ebb towards something else other than God, then I promise you, hope begins to move with it. It always migrates away. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Say it with me. So that you may overflow with hope. That is a big promise. Come on. When's the last time over the last few months you thought when you woke up or at lunch or before you went to bed, this day is incredible. I have overflowed with hope. Come on, it's been a little bit rare. Maybe non-existent. As you trust in him, the Holy Spirit will fill you with hope and you will overflow with it. Because look, your hope is not in this world. It's true, the kingdom is here and you see glimpses of God's goodness all around you. But as you love, as you put your trust in him, as you believe in the God of hope, he will transform you. May the God of hope What's next? <laughs> Fill you with all joy and peace. Oh, I knew you knew it. So let's start over. You ready? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace so that you may overflow with hope. And it doesn't come from you. Here's the very end of the verse. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And a child shall lead them. Oh, that's not part of the verse. Good, though. It's Elliot. Yeah, that's good. Love it. This is the promise of God. David also said this. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you. This is the promise of God. 
Now, most of us have all kinds of baggage when it comes to this word sin. We think that Adam's first sin was pride. We think that sin separates us from God in such a way that he turns his back on us because we have forsaken him. And this isn't true at all. Even when we sin, God is with us. In fact, the last time you sinned, the biggest sin you can think of, God was right there with you, his heart breaking, knowing and believing that you could choose him in that moment as much as you could choose the other thing. And when this is true and we understand this and we know it, then we believe and commit our hearts to this idea that if God is with us, the sin that draws us aside most often is just the subtle absence of hope, believing that our hope is in this world or in us getting what we want or in the outcome that we're banking on, or in someone liking us, or the diagnosis that we desperately want. Our hope is only in God. So I'm going to say it, you're going to repeat it, and then we're going to say the whole thing together. Because it's in Romans. Did you remember that? It's in Romans chapter what? Verse what? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you think you've got it? And so we hide this word in our hearts that we may not sin against God, that our hope may be squarely and fully on him. So let's say it together. All of us in one voice. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. Good. You know you're going to get through this. Don't you? Whatever it is you're getting through right now, you will get through it. And God will be with you. And you will be stronger because of it. So let's do this. Let's not do something this week that we need to ask for forgiveness for. Let's love better than we did last week. Let's show kindness to people that haven't seen a lick of kindness in the last several weeks. Let's be the one person that they see one day this week that they can't believe that we gave them such a ray of sunshine and the ability to believe that humanity can represent the goodness of God even in the most difficult of times. Will you do that this week? We believe, Lord, that you reign over all. Let's pray. We got one more song. We're just going to cap off the evening with it as the sun sets behind us. Lord, we believe that you reign over all of us in such powerful ways and that it is for us only to surrender to you, walk in your steps, trust and hope. And so, Lord, we pray that this, this one verse would guide our walk this week. So we believe that you are the God of hope, that you have authored it, that you are the beginning of hope and the end of hope, 
that all hope comes from you, emanates from you, and fills us up from you. And we believe that that hope will grow deeper as we trust you. And as our trust grows in you, Lord, we, we actually believe that we could overflow with hope. But this is not from us or even from our meager ability to memorize a verse of Scripture. But because you have given us a, a bit of you, the Holy Spirit within us, by his power, we walk in this truth that you reign over all. And so we declare that now, Lord.